Well, like Daniel said, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Hillary Lind. Uh, for those of you that do know me, my name is still Hillary Lind. Doesn't change. Um, and some people call me chaplain. Some people call me chaps. Some people call me other things. Um, but before I, before I dive into what we're going to look at today, I want to just make a, a, another quick announcement. Outside, just to the left of the double doors, there's a table. and You might find some... Uh, little flyers here about a Christian life and witness course. Um, you may or may not know, if you don't, um, I want to tell you that September, September 23rd and 24th, Will Graham, the grandson of Billy Graham, is going to be here at the Mountain America Center. We want to pack that place out. We want to see about half believers and half unbelievers in that place to hear a message of hope. David Crowder is going to be there with us. That is going to be awesome. If anybody who knows who David Crowder is, he's just amazing. But there are many opportunities to serve uh, as, as the Church of Idaho Falls, not just the Bridge Church, but as the Church of Idaho Falls. We have an opportunity to serve and, and participate in that. And if you would like to uh, serve by being uh, an usher or praying with people, counseling people, uh, helping them get plugged in after they make a commitment to the Lord. There's a lot of different things you can do. This, this class, this course, is something that you'll need to do. They want us to do that just so that we're all on the same page and, and uh, get an idea of what's going on. So if you are at all interested in that, please pick up one of these. Check out the dates, the times, locations. It's all there. Uh, this is they're coming up in May, so you still have a little bit of time. Um, but uh, get one of those. If you have any questions, talk to me afterwards. Uh, but there's, there's information out there available. Uh, please feel free to, to grab one of these flyers and uh, find out more about it. Uh, one of the other things that you may or may not know is that um, Michelle and I spent uh, almost 15 years in Ukraine serving with Youth with a Mission. And while we were there, we got to do a lot of really, really cool stuff. Um, we, we took uh, a team of students to Siberia one summer, uh, which was great. Um, it's a great, great place. I mean, 50 billion mosquitoes can't be wrong. Um, they're, and they're big. I mean, they got tattoos on, you know, it says mom or Marine Corps or something. I mean, they're just a lot of mosquitoes. But it was really, really a fun trip. We took a trip, uh, took a team to uh, Crimea, which is now occupied by Russia, spent uh, about a month and a half ministering down there. We did summer camps, we did, um, we got a, a, Michelle translated a book into Russian, we did all sorts of different things. It was really, really a lot of fun. But one of the funnest, and probably one of the more difficult things, just as far as the process, but one of the most rewarding things that we were able to do while we were there was to adopt a couple of children. And it was totally, totally life-changing and just amazing beyond words. And going through that process, of course, our whole mind is just all about adoption, and we're just focused on it for quite some time. And it got me thinking, it's like, I wonder what the Old Testament has to say about adoption, because the Old Testament, the Hebrew language and the culture, all that stuff in there is really, really cool. There's just a lot of neat stuff that you find in the Old Testament. And I thought, man, I'll bet there's something really, really cool about adoption and some spiritual significance and all this stuff. So I went and I looked through the Old Testament and what I found absolutely surprised me. I found nothing. I was so disappointed. It's like, come on. But they didn't have adoption as far as an official, formal type of thing. It's not mentioned by name. The principle and the practice of it is there. 
but they didn't have a formal type of thing, at least not that it's mentioned in Scripture in the Old Testament, about adoption. There were some situations where people were adopted, although they don't use those words. Moses is one of those who was adopted or taken in by the Pharaoh's daughter when she was down by the river and she saw him in the basket and she, it says she took him in and raised him as her son. So he was adopted even though that wasn't an official or formal type of transaction or process. Um, another one that's famous is Esther in the book of Esther with her uncle, or her, actually her cousin Mordecai. He was an older cousin. Her parents had both died and so she went to live with uh, her older cousin which was just very much a normal thing that they did uh, in that culture. Um, my mom, uh, growing up in Southern Colorado, had the very similar experience when she was uh, young. Both of her parents had died, I think when she was three, and then the other one at nine, if I'm not mistaken. And she wasn't adopted, she just went and lived with her cousins. She and her, her brother and her sister just moved in with her cousins. And that was just, was just kind of the natural thing that they did. It wasn't a, they didn't change their name. They weren't officially or legally adopted. They just moved in with the cousins, and, and that's how it worked. So the idea of, of adoption in the Old Testament isn't really mentioned by name, but the concept is there. But it got me wondering about Paul and, and in the New Testament. In Galatians 4.4, 4, uh, it says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, and that we might receive the adoption as sons. So I think, all right, well, so Paul's talking about adoption. Where did he get this idea? Was, was, I don't think it was an Old Testament thing, but maybe it was. Um, so where did he get that, and what does it mean, and what does it mean for us today? So I want to dive, dive into that today and see what we can learn about God's heart for us. So, Father, I thank you that you have adopted us. Thank you that we are your children. As the song was saying, we are your children. And it's a very awesome and wonderful thing. So help us learn, help us grow, help us draw nearer to you and uh, understand in a, in a deeper way uh, not just who we are, but whose we are because we are yours. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So natural adoption and spiritual adoption, they, they have some crossover, if you will, some things that are very similar. And I want to kind of unpack some of that. Um, and in the Greek language, the, the word for adoption literally means to place as a son or, the, or placing as a son, that idea. And it was, it was common in the Roman culture. And so Paul and his readers um, would have been very familiar with that. It was, it was a very common thing in those days that the, that the Roman culture did. And most often, they, uh, children or people were adopted in order to provide an heir for a family that didn't have children. Uh, that way, they would have someone that would carry on the family name and or carry on the family business, you know, as a farm or whatever it was. And there was uh, entitled to land and all the other things that, that kind of were involved in that. And the adoption process, really what that is, is, is having one person go from one household into another. You, you leave the authority of that father and you come under the authority of a new father. And so you have a new house, a new home, a new family, new authority. Everything is new. Everything is new. I've, I've heard um, someone once said that um, that the, the process really was so complete 
It was like you, you became a whole new person. They almost said that you were born again. And I thought, well, that was kind of interesting. And I've been trying to find that, but, but it really is. It's, we become somebody else, when, or we, we not become somebody else, but we become a different, not a person, but it sort of is like that because we have been brought in and welcomed in. So I want to look at that a little bit more and see really how that, how that works out. Now, sometimes slaves were adopted. And this was kind of interesting. If, if a family had a slave or a servant, and obviously they'd been serving with the family for a number of years, that slave could be adopted as a son to carry on the family name if they didn't have any of their own children. And that, there's an interesting process with that. If you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur with uh, Charlton Heston, uh, Charlton Heston plays this, this character of Judah Ben-Hur, and he's a slave on one of these ships, and at one point there's a battle and the ship is sinking, and he saves the life of this Roman admiral who's, who's uh, on the ship, and to thank him, the admiral uh, buys him because he's a slave, so he can't just say, hey, you know, I'm going to take you, that would be stealing, and that's not right. But he bought the slave, and then he set him free. And once he was free, he adopted him as a son. And it's an interesting process because under Roman law, uh, a slave was not considered a citizen, and you could only adopt someone who was a citizen. Uh, another interesting thing is that person that you wanted to adopt, they had to be old enough to give their consent. So you couldn't adopt an infant. It had to be someone that was of the age of consent where they could say, yes, I accept that, or no, thank you. And that's very much like what God offers us because we have the choice to accept or reject that. And that's an important thing. And so this admiral, he, he buys a slave, and we all have been bought with a price as well, haven't we? Jesus paid the price, and we have been purchased with a price for our lives, and we've been set free. We have been set free from the law of sin and death. We've been set free from slavery to sin, all of that stuff. We have been set free and offered adoption through Jesus, and it's really it's a, a wonderful an amazing thing. And a lot of the, the leaders and nobles of those days would do this if they didn't have children or a few times they said, you know, my natural born son's an idiot and I don't want him taking over the throne. They would adopt somebody else to take the throne. And it, it happened. Uh, Trajan, Hadrian, and Marcus Aurelius, all those guys among, among many others, had adopted sons to carry on the family name. And it's very interesting. In Colossians 1.13, it says that he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, just much like Judah Ben-Hur in the movie. He was taken from slavery and adopted into a home, into a new family. Now, the words that Paul uses there are really kind of interesting. There's a lot of uh, uh, significance to those. The word rescued that he uses literally means to draw somebody to yourself, to just to pull and draw that person to yourself, saving them out of something and drawing them to yourself. And then the word to transfer literally means and indicates a change of place or a change of condition. 
And I think we'd all agree that going from a slave to a, a son is a pretty significant change of condition. It's a change of status. It's hugely different change. So when God rescues us, he draws us in. Now, it's not like an Iron Man rescue. If Iron Man is going to rescue, he'll just grab you by the scruff of the coat, give you a toss for about 30 yards. You'll hit the pavement, rolling and tumbling all over the place, slam into the wall with a concussion and a dislocated shoulder. And it's good because at least the dump truck didn't fall on you or, you know, whatever, the, you know, the, the building. But you're safe. God doesn't do that. God grabs us and pulls us to himself. Very, very different type of rescue, but that is God's heart. So we have a change of place, a change of condition into a new family with new privileges and responsibilities. I want to look at that for a little bit. First, the privileges. When you get adopted and you come into a new house, there's, there's a lot of privileges that go with that from being a slave. Now you've got privileges. You know, we may, might call them perks or bennies, but that's what you get when you are a son or a daughter. It's not like being a slave. You've got food to eat. You've got clothes to wear. You've got a roof over your head. You've got an education. You've got protection. All of those things that come from being part of a family, we get those just from God's grace and goodness and love for us. So we, we get those things. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus was talking about you know, all the things that we worry about in our life, about what to eat and what to wear, and how about this and what about that. And he's like, don't worry about that stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God, and God's going to make sure you have all those things you need. He will take care of you because that's what dads do. So you can trust God in that. Psalm 23, you know, the shepherd's psalm, that is a song that's all about protection, provision, guidance, all of those things, God restoring us, all those things that God does for us, provides for us, gives to us, because we're his kids, we're his children, and that just comes with the package deal. We also get an inheritance. That's kind of neat, too. Slaves don't get to inherit. It just doesn't happen. Galatians 4, 7 says, Therefore you are no longer slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Jesus was talking about the sheep and the goats and, and likening the, you know, those that accept him and those that do not with the sheep and the goats. And in Matthew 25, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. As sons and daughters, we get to inherit that. And that's, that's really kind of a cool thing. Now, if I was really, really good friends with Elon Musk, and we got along great, went out golfing together, flew around in his jet, did all this fun stuff together, when it came time after he passes away, they're going to have a, probably a team of lawyers in there that'll say, all right, we're going to need to divide up the estate. And I could be in the room, and they could go down the list of all this stuff, and you know what I get? Nothing. I might, well, he may, may give me a, like a new Tesla or something. But I'm not his son. So I don't have the right to inherit anything. Now, if he wants to give me a car or something like that, I can. But it's his children that inherit. Because that is their position. That's their right as his children. That is what they get. 
And that's just the way, the way that, that works. Now, along with adoption and all the privileges and the inheritance, there also comes responsibility as well. And that's normal. That's normal. When, when we adopted our, our kids, there was an expected behavior that we had for them. We expected them to behave themselves in a certain way, talk in a certain way, do some chores. I mean, all of that is just part of living in a family. And being part of a new family, it's like, okay, new, new system, new way of doing things. And, and that's, that's okay. And so we raised our children like that with these certain expectations. And, and um, they, you know, they turned out really great anyway. Uh, I'm not really sure how that happened. But they're amazing kids. They're just amazing. But we have expectations of all of our kids, natural and adopted. It's just, it's just the way it is. Romans 13, 13 says, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. See, God has a whole uh, system. Now, I wouldn't even call it a system, but he has a way of living life, be it with our family, in our jobs, uh, in, our, in our recreation, all of these things. God says, this is the way you do it. And if we do that, you know what? It works. It works a lot better than doing it our own way or doing it the way of the world because God knows how these, those things ought to work. So it's better for us, but God's reputation is also at stake because the things that we do as children reflect on our parents. They do, right? It's like they, they, it's just the way that works. People say, oh, you're his kid. Ugh. Not good, or it could be really good. Philippians 1.27 says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, it says, In speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, Show yourself as an example of those who believe. So we should be an example, not just because it's good for us and our life will be better that way, but because it reflects on our Father. It reflects on God. And we, want, we, we don't want to do anything that would reflect ill of Him. Uh, John 14, Jesus said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's just a very... Normal thing to say. There's a very interesting story about Alexander the Great. There was a big battle, and one of his young soldiers was, shall we say, behaving a little bit less than courageously. He, he ran and hid. He was just scared to death, and so he ran and hid somewhere. Somebody found out about it, and they took him in front of the emperor, which is not a good thing in those days. You can lose your head for that. So they bring him before the emperor, and Alexander the Great sees that this young man is just scared to death, just terrified as he should have been. And he said, what's your name? And the young kid said, Alexander. That got his attention. He said, what is your name? And the young soldier said, it's Alexander. And the emperor asked him one more time. He said, what's your name? He said, it's, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great thought about that for just a minute and said, young man, you either change your conduct or you change your name. 
Because his behavior, just by having the same name, his behavior reflected, at least in Alexander the Great's mind, it reflected on him. And he didn't want that. So he said, change your behavior or change your name. And I'll bet the kid walked away grateful that he still had his head attached to his shoulders because it was a very good chance that he wasn't going to, it was not going to end well for him. But that idea of, of reputation and who we represent is really an important thing. Um, you've, you've heard the, the expression, uh, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That's a way of saying that, you know, children generally have their same characteristics and traits and things like that of their parents. It doesn't always happen that way, but it, it most often does. We were watching a Cinderella a story a few years ago, and there's this one part I just love where one of the, the evil stepsisters was just, something had happened and she was just behaving badly, just horrible, well beneath her station as a, as a sophisticated lady and you know, rich person, and it was just horrible. And another lady nearby looked at her and said, there was two other ladies, she said, it's amazing how far the apple can fall from the tree, isn't it? And the other lady said, yes, and still roll a considerable distance. <laughs> you know, her behavior was not reflecting well on her parents. It was not a good thing. And as children of God, our behavior should reflect well on our Father. It's just, that's how it should be. Um, in, the, uh, in the Jewish culture, they have something called Kiddush Hashem, which means the sanctification of the name. And the idea is this, that they don't want to do anything that would, would taint or, or disparage the name or the image of God in the eyes of the world. And at the same time, they want to do everything possible to bring glory and honor to God's name in the eyes of a watching world. Our, our actions, our behaviors, what we say, how we say it, all of that stuff, it reflects on God. And if we call ourselves Christian and we're out drinking and carousing and swearing and just doing all these things and say, well, that means that that's, that's what it means to be a Christian? No, it isn't. That's not what it means to be a believer in Christ. So our, our conduct, our speech, all of those things that Paul was talking to Timothy about, those are really important. That's stuff that we need to be doing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When we are adopted into God's kingdom, not only are we going from one authority into another, but we, we receive a new identity in Christ. And that is a significant thing. We, we've changed our home, our authority, our, our, our father. Our conduct should also change. But the enemy is not going to let it go that easy, is he? He doesn't just say, oh, okay, fine, whatever. No. Revelation uh, 12 calls, him, calls the enemy the accuser of the brethren. It says, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. The enemy is not going to let you go easily. He does not want you being within the household of God. It does not make him happy, and he's not going to let you go without a fight. But here's what happens. If the enemy goes before God to accuse and says, you know, Lord, well, he would actually wouldn't call him Lord, would he? <laughs> Probably maybe call him Sir. 
He said, I've got a problem with one of your, one of your children. And God's like, well, one of my children? It shouldn't be any problem with my children. And the enemy says, yes, I've got a problem with one of your children. There's this guy named Waldo, and he is a rascal. I mean, I know the things he's done. I know where he's been. I, it's just like, he is just, he's bad news. And God says, are you sure that's one of my sons? Said, yep, I know. So, well, God says, let me look. So he'll flip through his roster here. So, okay, let's see. Okay, William, Wesley, Wiley, Walter. You mean Walter? He's like, nope, Waldo. Okay, if you say so. Uh, Winthrop, Willard, Webster, Willis, Wyman. Sorry. There's nobody here by that name. That man does not exist. He's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things have been made new. When God adopts us and we accept that adoption, God renews us, transforms us, changes us from the inside out, and that's something that only God can do. He doesn't just, you know, give us a haircut and a bath and a, and a new jacket or something and say, all right, you're, you're good to go. He changes us from the inside out. And it's, it's just miraculous. But that's, that's what God does for us. And that whole process, what we end up with is not just a different relationship, although that is part of it. In Luke 15, they talk about this, it's the story of the prodigal son. And, and there's a really interesting, when after the son, he, uh, just, he tells his dad, you know what, I just want my share of the, of the inheritance, give me my money, I want to take the money and run. So he takes the money, he goes out and just lives like crazy and spends all the money, ends up eventually with no friends, no money, and he's living with the pigs, and it is not good. I mean, especially for, for a young Jewish boy, living with the pigs and looking and saying, man, even what the pigs are eating is starting to look pretty good. That is, that's the lowest of the lowest, the worst of the worst. It's kind of like asking a Navy guy to, to root for Army in the Army-Navy game. Can't happen. No, it's just, just no, no, no. It just, or, or asking a, you know, a Broncos fan to, to root for the Raiders. I mean, are you serious? Just the worst of all situations. So that's where the son was. Absolute bottom of the barrel. He says, I can go home and I'll just live as a servant because even my servants are treated better and they eat, they eat well. And so he said, that's what I'm going to do. And in uh, verse 24, the father says, this son of mine was dead and has come to life again and he was lost and has been found. So he's going to have a big celebration because his son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So he goes out and he kills the fatted calf. They're going to have a big celebration. But the older brother has a little bit of an issue with that. He says, hey, yo, what about me? I've been with you my whole life. I've never disobeyed anything you've said. I've, I've worked, I've served, I've done anything you ask. And the, the father, it's, it's interesting what the father says. He says, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, the relationship was not broken. It was tattered and bruised a bit, maybe. But he's my son. He's your brother. And it's interesting because, oh, and in, uh, in the New American Standard Bible, I like the way it says that. He says, this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. I thought, you know, there's been times in my life where I was not walking close with God, and you just feel like you're under the pile. It's just, just, it's just oppressive and terrible. 
and you finally come out from underneath that, and it's like breathing again. You get to breathe free air, and like, oh, and you start to live again. And that's what he was saying about his son. He said he was dead, but he's begun to live again. And so he was restored, not just to relationship, but to position. And that's why I've titled this message, What's Your Position? Are we slaves or are we sons and daughters? Because that position as a son or a daughter is really, really important. Romans 8.15 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, which is kind of like saying Father, Father, or Dad, because Abba literally means Dad or Daddy. And that's not, it's not a term of, of, of infancy like a baby, because that's all I can say is Daddy. It's, it's a term of intimacy because we have that closeness to Him, because He is our Father. And, and Jesus told us, you know, Matthew 6, pray this way, our Father who is in heaven. Holy is your name. That's what Jesus told us to do. He said, this is how you pray. And, and I imagine that for the Jewish people, that was really kind of an interesting thing because in the Old Testament, you, you don't see God referred to you know, as Father or by name. It is El Shaddai, Almighty God. Jehovah Shalom, my peace. El Roy, the God who sees me. He's, he's got these titles. That's what he's known by. But just to call him dad, for these people that grew up revering God's word and his name and just who he is, to call him dad is, was, it just had to be a bit of a, 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 bit of a shock. It's kind of like if, if you were in London and you were meeting uh, King Charles you would not go and just say, yo, Chuck, good to see you, man. Give me a hug. You know? <laughs> that would not work well for you. There would be some guard or secret service that would have you body slammed on the carpet faster than you could say, jolly good show. What? It would not go well for you because you don't have that status. You don't have that familiarity. You can't do that. Probably as kids don't even do that, but maybe they do. But the point is, we have that kind of intimacy and access to God simply because we are His. Interesting, uh, maybe another interesting way to help us understand that. Uh, imagine, if you will, a, a city, big city that is at war, bombs going off, missiles, smoke, dust, sirens, chaos everywhere. And a doctor steps out of a building to go see if there's anybody he can help. So as, as he's crossing the street, he's going towards someone who needs help, and he hears somebody, they say, doctor. He recognizes that because he's a doctor. That makes sense. And somebody recognizes him as a doctor. So he starts heading towards that other person who needs help. And while he's on the way, he hears another voice that says, David, that's different. Somebody knows me personally. And so he starts walking towards that person. And before he gets to that person, he hears another voice that cries out and says, Dad! You think that gets his attention? Oh, yeah. Dad! That is a completely different relationship from Doctor or David. And who this guy is hasn't changed. But each of those persons 
had a different relationship, a different uh, depth of intimacy and familiarity with him. And don't you know that when he heard the word dad, you know where he was going. In fact, love you guys and I'll take care of you as soon as I can, but you know, my child is calling to me and you're gonna have to take second seat, you know, take a number or something. You know, that's where he's going because we have that kind of access and intimacy with our Father. It's really, really cool. So, this idea of, of, of intimacy and, and that closeness to God is, is really, really neat. Um, if you were anything like me uh, growing up, first of all, I'm very sorry if you were anything like me. Um, <laughs> but, but you know what it was like when you were kids and you come into the house and, and you've, you know, you've you know, bruised your arm or you've, you've you got a cut or something like that, and I don't know, there's a number of times that I would come in the house with that, whatever my problem was. And when you do that, we don't walk into the house, get into our best <clears throat> requesting prayer position and say, kind and benevolent Father, provider of the roof over my head and the meals on my table and even these earthly vestments, consider my miserable and disheveled state and note also the profuse bleeding on your newly purchased rug, and grant me your favor and come to my aid at your earliest assistance if you would be willing. We don't say that. We come in, Dad, help, you know, my arm's falling off. You know, and we're screaming like we just got our arm cut off with a dull deer antler or something. It's, you know, there is no formality. It's just straight on, Dad, Mom. And so they'll, they'll come and they say, all right, what's the problem? And they'll Dad will get a wet rag from the sink and kind of wipe off the, wipe off the wound and, and um, a, a kiss and a, a Band-Aid and some, suddenly my arm is reattached and, uh, and everything's good. And about that time, my friend Brian will come to the door and say, hey, Hillary, let's go jump off the roof again. That was fun. I'm like, cool. Bye, Dad. You know, and, and out we go. We're gone again. You know? But we have that level of intimacy where we can just come in and say, Dad! We don't have to go through a prayer book. We don't have to request permission to come in. We, ju we just barge on in and, and make our request known, and usually not very subtly. And that's why in Hebrews 4 it says we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Children of the king can do that. Children of the king can do that. Servants cannot. Court jesters cannot. Other, other people in the, in the palace, they can't do that. Children can. You talk about head of the line pass. I mean, it's a good deal. It's a good gig when you have the father who is the king. Um, Galatians 4, 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We get to do that. And it's not just like, yeah, it's sort of okay. Jesus actually told us to. Can you believe that? It's not just because we can get away with it. Jesus said, this is how you pray. This is how you talk to your father. This is how you talk to God. And you can come and just say, dad, help. I need you. I'm, I'm hurting. I'm, I'm lonely. I'm depressed. I'm, you know, whatever. We have that access, and it's an amazing thing. And the enemy, 
from our former house has nothing to say about it. He may try to, but he doesn't have any authority. We have been taken from that kingdom and we have been placed in this kingdom. And we are now sons and daughters of the king. Kind of like a business. You know, we're under new management. We're, you know, we're under new ownership. And you have no authority. That, that has been cut completely and there is no connection. We have been adopted and placed in a new home with a new father. Hebrews 2.11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. See, Jesus, because we're adopted into his family under his Father, we are his brothers and sisters. We're, we're not like just some annoying little stepchildren that Dad picked up on the way. We're his brothers and sisters every bit as real and as important and valid as blood brothers and sisters ever, as original family. That is how complete that adoption is. We have been brought in to his family fully and completely. No regrets, no mistakes, no sorrow. You are his. You are his. I looked up the word adoption in the Webster's Dictionary and uh, it, was, it was kind of interesting. There's several different ways they describe it. Uh, one is to take by choice into a relationship, just natural adoption of children. One is to accept something formally, like uh, adopting a, a, a law or adopting a constitutional amendment, something like that. We look at it, we observe it, we say, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And so we take that, we accept that. To choose something, to adopt a point of view, to adopt... Uh, a curriculum, to adopt anything. We, we take that, we, we examine it, we, we value that and say, okay, yeah, it's good. And we will adopt that. So all of these things are all about choosing. We choose this. We, we look at it, we, we evaluate it, and we say, yes, I want that. The point is this. God chose you as well. If we can have the worship team come up, please. But God sees you, warts and all, the good, the bad, the ugly. He sees you. He knows you intimately. He is so intimately acquainted with you, and he wants you. He wants to adopt you. He wants you to be in his family. And it's easy to, to just think, oh, man, but I am such a mess. And God goes, yeah. That's okay, I want you anyway. But you don't know what I've done. Yeah, I do, but I want you anyway. But God, you don't know, yes I do. God sees us, God knows us, and he wants us, he wants you, just the way you are. You don't have to prove anything, you don't have to have a certain IQ, you don't have to do anything. He just wants you. He wants to be with you, and he wants you to be with him. And he offers us that opportunity through adoption, through Jesus. And it's through his blood, the price that he paid 
to set us free so that we can be adopted into his home, into his family. And it's a good thing. I want to go have the worship team go ahead and, and just spend some time in worship, but if you are feeling that you, you haven't taken that step of accepting God's offer of adoption, now's the perfect time. Maybe you feel like you've been the prodigal son or daughter and you just need to get back to your dad. He's waiting. He wants you back. He's, he's waiting for you. Not as a slave or a servant, but as a son or a daughter. And it's a very good thing. Maybe it's just been a while since you've been really close. You haven't been living with the pigs, but you just haven't been close to the Lord. There's time for that too. God wants, you in, wants to invite you into that type of a place to just spend a moment with Him and be with Him as we worship. Go ahead.